It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And yes, we are streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Coming up on the show today, Linnell joins us in just a little bit for an overreaction, quote-unquote, Tuesday. Uh, again, if, if ESPN can do Monday Night Football on uh, – if ESPN can do Monday Night Football on Saturday this week, then I think that we can do overreaction Tuesday on a Thursday. Uh, plus, coming up at 6 o'clock tonight, Don Van Nata is going to join us. Uh, yes, that Don Van Nata. Yes, there was another ESPN story about the former commander's owner. And we can just not laugh at it, but we can, we can enjoy it as observers of a thing that doesn't bother us anymore. We don't have to uh, talk to Don Van Nata with existential dread. No, no, no. We can just talk to Don, get the information, and uh, go, wow, the NFL could be in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, so we'll talk to DVN coming up at 6 o'clock. We start, though, with, of course, the top story, the quarterback change. Uh, and by the way, I should also mention, Mike Jones is going to join us at 5. Uh, who? Mike Jones, the senior NFL reporter for The Athletic, uh, talking about the QB stuff here. But also, this Russell Wilson situation in uh, Denver is wild i truly cannot remember anything like it we'll talk to mike about it coming up at five o'clock our nfl tears at 5 30 as well uh but we start with with eric Bieniemy's thoughts today on the quarterback change and uh he was back to being peak eric Bieniemy. peak peak lots of lots of uh words a hint that he might give you an answer and then, and then a lot of talking points that don't really answer questions. But I will give uh, Nikki Javala and Sam Fortier, uh, who, who opened up the questions, credit. Uh, they, they ask good ones, and you just can't make people answer them. Uh, so with that said, uh, Anthony, let's, let's just pull uh, his, not, not his opening statement, but the, uh, the baseline question Nikki asked, which is, hey, what's the difference between what Sam did and what Jacoby did? And, and obviously that leads us some... Uh, some some insight into how we got here. You know what? I, I mean, it's a number of things. Obviously, we weren't playing well as a team. And sometimes you just need a, a spark. Um, Sam did a number of great things throughout the uh, entire season. Obviously, there's a number of things that take place throughout the course of a game. But uh, unfortunately, the, the quarterback position is the most scrutinized position in all of football. So you just basically evaluate everything and uh, with a veteran like Jacoby, who's been uh, in this game for a while and who's the ultimate professional, uh, he stepped in, and I thought he he rose to the occasion, and he gave us life, and he gave us a spark. So, you know, with all that taking place, we just had to basically carefully consider and just make that decision moving forward. So the thing uh, that, that EB says at the beginning there I think is 100% true and worth underscoring is, like, they weren't playing well as a team. And I think that that's multi-layered, starting with they just didn't play well. Like, sometimes there's not a reason. It's just the same page. Like, we just, I don't know, we sucked. It happens. Um, the Jets defense is really good. And early in that game, they were under a lot of pressure, and they didn't perform well. And that's not, you know, good enough because the the standard to win in the NFL is you overcome good teams. You don't just get to beat up on bad ones. Um, if you want to be good, like you got to be good teams. And so, but it is important to point out that in this most recent game, like 
the team let Sam down, and that really seemed to kill his confidence, and then he let them down. Um, nobody played well. But that, like, nobody played well isn't an excuse uh, for Sam. It's just like it, it, he's a part of a large group of players that did not play well, which probably on some level does reflect coaching, but also might reflect some of the players themselves and yada, yada, yada. Um, I thought uh, an astute follow-up question was asked by uh, our pal Sam Fortier when he asked Eric, you know, Sam had some success earlier this year. Why could he not sustain that? What could they have done to help sustain that early success? You know what? I thought Sam did a great job. Obviously, the production has not spoken well for itself, but he's done a great job. He's a professional. He's a young kid growing in this industry. And I'll say that sometimes without any bad luck, you wouldn't have any good luck at all. This is going to give him an opportunity to reflect on everything that has taken place so far this season. On top of that, he's going to have an opportunity to watch a veteran like Jacoby work. And I think that's probably one of the best things that he can do. The good thing is that obviously he's healthy, okay? But now he can just sit back and observe, really slow everything down. Um, but not too – he can't slow everything down too too much because he always got to be ready, you know, at, at – at, 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 on any play, but I just think right now it's good for him, but also too, it's, it's a great opportunity for Jacoby moving forward. I, this is where I, I don't know what to say because I don't think it would be the best professional move for Eric BN to come out and directly answer that question to say, this is where we messed up. I don't know that 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 benefits him. I don't think it benefits. I don't know that it benefits Sam. Um, it benefits us, those of us, that, and not just us, the media, because we get a story to talk about. It benefits the fans who want to know the answers. That's the right question for Sam to ask. And I wish Eric was more forthcoming with the answer because I am a journalist and I'm a talk show host, and I like when people answer the questions that are asked, and I like having things to talk about, but realistically like it's a dodge of the answer as was Anthony the the second to last bite from the presser not the super short one at the end the one right before it where he's asked a similar question of like you know how do you reflect on your role in Sam's season is essentially the question here was uh here was the enemy's answer well there's always things I mean you, you you're going back you're always thinking about calls that could have been made you know his as a play caller, you're always evaluating, did I make the right call? Did we get the right coverage? Did we get the right look? Did we have the right concept? Did we get the exact defense? So that's always something that you're always going to consider. But those are the things, and, and it ain't so much that it's thinking just about the quarterback. It's more about overall offensively uh, when you're addressing that, you know, uh, making sure that we're putting the guys in the right positions to go out there and have the success that they need to have. But you got to understand, when you when you wear this hat, you're always going to basically look in the mirror because you always want to evaluate what you're doing so you can help yourself, you can help self to be better moving forward. I think that is like the right answer in terms of taking accountability without actually telling us what the what the information is. And I just wish I wish there was a way for Eric to be more forthcoming. So this isn't me criticizing Eric for mealy-mouthing the answer and doing the political thing and 
kind of taking accountability, saying it's, you know, I'm always looking in the mirror trying to be better and throwing out some things that he's questioned without actually answering them, right? Because essentially it's like, you know, did I call the right plays? Did I this? And that open, leaves open the op, or the uh, potential that he would go, yeah, I did. And these guys, these players screwed it up, right? That if you're just asking the questions, like, well, what's the answer? I'm not, like, we are, we're all asking those questions. It doesn't take a genius to say, like, hey, was the play calls right? Whatever. What I, what I, what I don't hear in those answers, though, that, Again, I'm not really putting this on Eric for not saying it out loud, but I do wonder if he feels this way is like philosophically, did he fail this year? And this has been my argument since the Bills game. And really, I I flashed some warning signs at times, uh, even in the first two games. But because of game flow, et cetera, it wasn't as big of a deal. Like it was hard to get critical of them going super pass happy against Denver because they were down massively in the second quarter. But by the time the Bills game rolls around and they're throwing the ball over the lot, I'm like, hey, this is not this is not a way to play. You can't do this to a young quarterback. The lack of certain things that make life easier for a quarterback is a problem. And that's the and maybe he would do that at a year-end presser. You know, they're still in the middle of this. Like, I have empathy here. So I'm, I'm not even trying to, like, play cute games with language and whatever and be like, oh, well, I, you know, I just wonder. And what I'm really saying is, like, no, EB sucks, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not saying that. It's, it's hard in the moment, in the middle of it. I have the empathy for that to know that we're not going to get at answers that feel satisfactory. Here's what I will say more definitively. Here's the strong take, if you will. I hope that EB knows those answers for himself. I hope that for his sake, moving forward, he is more adaptable to the reality of his current situation. Whatever that next situation is, that he thinks that he has the answers to those questions, that he looks at personnel differently, that he looks at how a quarterback limits an offense differently because the place that he came from in Kansas City had the most unlimited offense based off the quarterback skill set that maybe has ever existed in the entire NFL because Patrick Mahomes has stretched the limits of what we think quarterbacks are capable of. And so moving forward, I hope for EB's sake that he is more adaptable and he has those answers and he has those reflections. I would love for some sense of catharsis for Commanders fans and for those of us that talk about the team if he would say that out loud into a microphone at some point before he leaves or at some point when he's asked about it in, in a future media interview. But for right now, it's I think it's too hard to ask him of th that of him because we're still in the moment. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We'll take a couple of calls on that real quick before Linnell joins us coming up at the bottom of the hour. 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. Your call's next on the Ace Law Listener Line on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live as well on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Linnell Willingham joins us uh, over reaction Thursday. Normally Linnell pops in with us on Tuesdays, but with the holiday week, uh, we got uh, Linnell today, so he'll pop on. 
Uh, and then coming up at five o'clock, Mike Jones from the athletic talking a bunch of different NFL storylines, including the quarterback situation here, but also this wild ass Russell Wilson situation out in Denver. All right, let's go to the Ace Law listener line, 301-230-0980. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888-ACE-LAW. Let's start off with Kenny on what EB had to say and kind of this whole quarterback situation. Kenny, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. No, I, don't, I, don't like, I know about switching about the quarterback and stuff. I mean, I mean, in the NFL, sometimes I don't know why – Maybe one day maybe Anthony, can we put Kenny day. on hold and see if we can get him on a better something? Like I'm having a lot of I don't know whether that was a speakerphone situation or what was going on there. I just I couldn't really hear what Kenny was saying. Uh, so let's see if we can get in uh, some better acoustics. In the meantime, let's talk to Rick. Rick, thanks for calling. You are on the Hoffman Show. Hey, what's up, Kay? Uh Yeah, um, I was just stating to. Um, the, the gentleman answered the phone. Uh, that uh, you know, I was beginning. To, I, I'm beginning to wonder if this season was more about Eb and and and, and his uh, and, and doing things his way to prove that you know he's he's the offense coordinator. It was him in Kansas City. It wasn't just like a you know a, you know you know somebody third or fourth in charge. So, but I, I don't, after watching the season, he really didn't get saying the way he should have been developed by giving them a running game and. Just dropping them back, you know, so many times. I mean, I, you know, to me, it was just like it was almost like a lose-lose situation. Like he was trying to prove something to to other people other than developing Sam. So, but then Jacoby, you know, I think he deserves a, a chance to start. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Well, we won't know because nobody that's currently coaching will be there next year. But um, I think Jacoby, he's probably proving himself that you know he, he probably needs to stick around or whoever they, they draft a quarterback or. A young quarterback, maybe that young quarterback, whoever it is, Caleb Williams, Drake May, maybe maybe they need to sit for a year. I mean, if, if Patrick McCombs can sit for a year, one of these guys can sit for a year behind a veteran like Brissett. What do you think? I mean, I think it's an interesting concept. Thanks for the call, Rick. Uh, Rick listening down in North Carolina uh, on the free Odyssey app or streaming us live on YouTube. I will say this about Brissett. Everyone keeps saying, like, oh, I'd love to have Jacoby Brissett back. I'd love to have Jacoby Brissett back. Yeah, no kidding. I would also love to have Jacoby Brissett back. Um, but Jacoby Brissett signed a one-year deal, and he's going to be a free agent. Jacoby Brissett gets to decide if Jacoby Brissett wants to come back. And I'm not sure if I'm Jacoby Brissett that I'd want to be here. Because if I can go somewhere where I have a chance to start, I would probably do that. And based off his comments yesterday, you know, we didn't get into this a ton yesterday, but we... You know, uh, Jacoby Brissett was pretty clear yesterday at his press conference that when he got here, he thought he was going to have a better chance to start. I will also say that he did not win the quarterback competition on the tilted scale that it was. And it wasn't an unreasonably tilted scale that was needed for Sam Howell to win it. Like they had to be close with Sam showing progress and potential to pass Jacoby. And Sam was that coming out of training camp. Um, and I, again, think the plan that Eric had to get Sam to where he needed to be was not a very good one. Um, if this was the plan, Jacoby would have been the better player all along, and that's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, but at the time, we didn't think that they'd be the past-happiest team in the league with a young quarterback uh, of Sam's of Sam's ilk. So, all in all, like, yes, I would like Jacoby to stay if he is willing 
I think basically no matter what system you're running, he is someone who can pick it up quickly and be a tremendous mentor for whoever the next quarterback is. And that that is worth paying, especially because if you draft Jaden Daniels or Drake May in the top five or whoever else, you're going to pay that guy top five rookie money, but you have enough money at the position uh, that paying Jacoby another $10 million to be your backup is not a terrible idea. And if you want to try to be competitive next year, uh, Jacoby can help you be that uh, potentially if, if you want, um, if that, that quarterback is not ready. Cause maybe it is a situation where you go like, look, we know he's the number two overall pick, but we just think that Drake may needs a year to, to learn and to sit. And we know, unlike if you're Rivera this year and you're EB this year, we know we're going to be here long term, whoever the coach is next year. They're going to get multiple years. And so they they can afford to wait in a way that a lot of staffs who draft high cannot. Uh, all right, let's try Kenny again. Kenny, sorry about that. Uh, hopefully we got the phone situation uh, straightened out. Thanks for calling, and uh, and you're free to go. Yeah, on Jacoby, I mean, I mean, we know he's, he's a solid quarterback. But um, I'm thinking on on um, on this quarterback situation. I'm thinking about why the league always has has a set quarterback. I'm thinking eventually one day in the league they might start going like, uh, does the person have to be a set quarterback, or or can it be a, like a relief quarterback? I mean. All right, uh, that, that'll do for Kenny's call. Anthony, when you were talking to Kenny off air, did you get a clue of what he was trying to say? I don't know what was going on with uh, trying to get it across on the air there. but Yeah, so basically uh, he was basically saying sometimes during the course of a game, if a quarterback has it going, then you roll with the hot hand. But sometimes you should be able to, you know, swap and go with, you know, a backup quarterback. You don't yeah, I mean, a permanent one. I got that's it. Sort of so, case. like, more of like a relief pitcher situation. Yeah. Um, the thought in the NFL. I mean, I think it's really easy to laugh at that idea and dismiss it and say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I think most NFL people would. A lot of NFL people probably could have benefited from some some more fluidity and uh, creative thinking over the years when it comes to the quarterback position, because you don't have a like unless you have one of the top seven guys, like it's really hard to count on that guy every single week. Um, so I, I, I do think that's not as crazy of an idea as it sounds, especially if you have a situation like they have here in Washington. Like what if Sam was on a short leash every single week and it was part of the deal? It's like, hey man, like go out and ball. And if it's not there, we're like we'll bring Jacoby in. It'll be good. And like you'll we'll try again next week. Or like, hey, we think matchup wise, Jacoby's better this week. Um, we're gonna we're gonna mix and match a little bit more. Um, is that outrageous? unfortunately the way I think a lot of teams are built right now. Yeah. That that's the problem is that you build a system and an offense and the details around the strengths and weaknesses of certain players, including your quarterback. And so if you have a game plan built for one quarterback, and by the way, you have very limited practice reps, like what you wind up doing is just cutting off everybody's chances of success in an effort to have some more flexibility over here. Um, and that's why generally the thought in the NFL is, that if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. And I, that tends to be true. Um, 
could maybe something like if the the point was to win games this year for the commanders at all costs would having more flexibility and less worry about Sam's long-term future and the implications of benching him or whatever, could that have been a, a more viable solution? Yeah, probably because I mean, they've won four games. The bar's not very high. Um, and if you set a culture that it's not a big deal, that it's much more like a relief pitcher in baseball or getting subbed out in basketball. If, hey, I got the bench players making a lot of shots. We're going to, we're going to finish with him down the stretch today. Um, then maybe it's different, but there's, I, I tend to think generally speaking in the NFL, these are the best and brightest minds in the sport in the world. And if they have come to a consensus on something, it's probably for a pretty good reason, even if it's not always as obvious to the rest of us. It's the Hoffman show on the team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. When we get back, Linnell joins us for a special overreaction Tuesday. On a Thursday here on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. It's a Thursday, but this week has been all jumbled around and we haven't heard from Linnell yet. So it's overreaction Tuesday uh, with Linnell here on this Tuesday. Linnell, if if, uh, ESPN can do uh, Monday Night Football on Saturday night, then we can have overreaction Tuesday on Thursday. For sure we can. For sure we can. And this one is actually special because I did the pregame with you this week. You did. Awesome time. Cool going out to uh, going out to tap at MGM. What did we say during the pregame show? We, we said, said so we, many things. We said that we for said, three we, hours. We said a, a gazillion of things. One of the things that we said or that we discussed back and forth is would Sam Howe get benched? And I felt going in for whatever reason that it was going to go that way. That Jets defense is ferocious. They got after him. And he, like we had said, I think a week or two ago, was a broken quarterback. So he yeah. continued to look broken on Sunday. But it was just like, wow. I will give you credit because I was pretty adamant. Like, nah, bro. Like, they're not going to bench him because if they bench him, he's done. And I guess on that part, I was right. I just didn't think that yeah, right, right. Yeah. And I, I think that'll be part of the overreaction if we get right into it. Um, yeah, hit me. While Sam is done for the 2023 season, I would not count him out as being a potential quarterback one option in the future. Maybe not here, but in another location. I do believe in Sam's talent. It's just quarterback is about fit, and you know that. It's going to take him being in the right system, as you alluded to yesterday. I thought you did a great job talking about it. Him being in the right system with the right coordinator that believes in him and his skill set is going to put him in the best position to succeed possible so i think we all saw flashes of what he could be i don't think that stuff just goes away it's about getting him to do it on a consistent basis and having the right messenger so to speak yeah no totally i mean i one thank you uh and obviously i don't think this is an overreaction because it is exactly what i talked about yesterday right and i've been trying to think about it more um and like different ways to say it that maybe break through a little bit more um, one of the ways that I think is interesting to think about it is like a nature nurture type of thing is the people like, I think generally understand that concept is like, there is some amount of our lives that is our nature. That is genetics. That is, you know, all the, the stuff that is preordained. Uh, but there's an enormous part of our life that is nurture. And the more, frankly, not to get too nerdy on it, but like the more that psychologists study this stuff, like the amount you're swaddled as a baby has a lasting effect on you as an adult like nurture is really important and so i i think when we talk about within the context of football um 
where you go is super important and, and how you're used and the idea that Sam was always, no matter what he was going to be, what system he went to, what he was asked to do, he was 100% just going to fall down on his face in week 12. Like, that's just not how it works. And, and so I think that there's been a lot of people that have kind of been waiting in the weeds to be like, Sam House sucks. He's always sucked. And it's like, then then where were you when he threw for 300 five times this year, whatever it, it, it's been? Like, where were you when he was playing really good ball and making leading the NFL in big-time throws and doing all this stuff? The reality is, is that in an alternate universe where he goes to San Francisco or is playing for Bobby Slowick in Houston or Mike McDaniel and, and Frank Smith in Miami or, you know, whoever, pick your offensive, Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, right? His year looks different. I think there's certainly room to say that it still could end poorly, that he still could wind up not being that good. I'm not right. saying that it's, it's pre, it was actually preordained that he was good and EB took him off the tracks, but like the idea that this was inevitable to me is just so silly. And I'll, I'll go back to what you said there at the end. I don't even blame Eric Bieniemy as I think as much as you do, I think Eric called the stuff and he probably could have adapted to Sam a little bit better, but we've discussed too. It's, it's hard to, simplified any more than he was but i from day one i've always said and you've disagreed with me on this i don't think it makes sense from ron rivera's standpoint from this regime standpoint to wait until year four to develop a quarterback unless you're dropping him into just this ideal situation and you weren't and to me that's the biggest culprit in all of this is he was put in a situation where it's really hard to succeed unless you're a Joe Burrow type of talent. And we know he's not that, even when we talk about his ceiling. Because you think about it, Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the league the year that the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. But Sam's not that type of talent. We think his ceiling is like, I think, probably like 15 to 20. But like that's if he's in the ideal circumstance and setting. And I don't think we, we've we yet to see him in that. So that, I think with the big time throws that he's made – yeah, no, I hear you. I think with the big time throws that he's made, his ceiling is more fifteen to ten, like somewhere in there. Like I, I think, I think he in the right system. If this is a big if, and like this is the part that we might not ever get to know, but we certainly saw didn't wind up coming to fruition this year. Is like if other parts of his game develops, like he has such a high right. ceiling because the stuff that he does is very special, and you can't coach. The problem is, is a lot of the stuff that should be coachable getting the ball out on time, footwork, cleaning up a lot of the basic fundamentals, hitting the layups, that stuff has not gotten better. And in fact, it's regressed and got worse. And that's the thing that I think is such a bummer is like they they just leveraged him so much and exposed him so much. Because even, you know, I did, well, you know, when I try to do math, things get a little hairy, but bear with me here. Oh, you know, yeah. if let's say, let's say your, your bad play percentage is 20%. Right. Uh, when you drop back, bad things happen 20% of the time. Let's even make it, let's make it more realistic, 40% and qualify bad things as like incompletions, sacks, interceptions. Right. Well, if that's, if that's your percentage on pure drop back pass and you drop back 10 times a game and that's it because your coordinator's like, we can't drop that kid back. Right. That's four plays a game that bad stuff happens on dropbacks. Right. If you're 30 plays of drop back, that's 12 bad plays. Right. So even just like when I've talked about running the football, it's there's many reasons to it. One of them is it will actually make it so that 
the bad things can happen less often because you're not as exposed to the risk as often. And that's that's part of why I really dislike what EB's done. I think there's schematic elements too. We did actually a really interesting breakdown of this uh, on Take Command that we recorded this morning that'll be out tomorrow. We did like a deep, deep dive into how San Francisco's built their team um, in, in order to kind of lay a blueprint as one of the possible paths for Washington. And in that discussion, like, did you know that they're last in the league in pass attempts? San really? Francisco is? Well, it, it makes sense, though. I mean, you think about... Part what of that Christian is like they're up in a bunch of games. They, so like but the, last the game flows. Yeah. yeah, but they're, they're dead last. Yeah. But they're also top five, if not two or one, in explosive plays. I don't want to be... They, they, they just understand how to create like matchups and, hey, we're going to make it so that you bring eight players into the box. And then all of a sudden you have bad personnel in the field and you, you have, have yeah, you respect the run. And then we yeah. hit you with 30 yard bumps and, and Debo Samuel running behind your deep fence. So like, that's the kind of stuff that I just think, you know, Brock Purdy's life is a lot easier for a lot of reasons, including he's got Debo and Christian and, and Kittle and all these guys. But th- there's so many, so many different factors to it. Um, when you look at, why a young player succeeds or fails and especially quarterback, but this is true for other positions too. I have a, I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but it's definitely going to come off as a conspiracy theory. Do you think there's any spite in the play calling at a certain point in terms of the decision that ultimately got made? Uh, No, where it's like, look, see, no, because I actually think, I liked EB early in the Jets game as much as I've liked him all season. Um, things just went poorly. The- yeah, he went screens, he went rollouts, and it's just like you can't you can't make the kid execute. And by the way, early on in the Jets game specifically, you can't make other guys. Like I think it's the right. first seven plays you have either drops or receivers fall down. And like yeah. when Sam's confidence is on thin ice, like it broke because he, you know, it's supposed to be like, hey, we're gonna get you the easy stuff. And he's like, I can't even get these guys to stand up for the easy stuff. What are we doing? And so, yeah, it's, I don't think spite's the right word. Um, I do think there's probably a level that they're like, hey, if he can't do it this, then he can't play quarterback. But I also don't think that, like, I don't think that assessment is correct because I don't like the way that they ask their quarterback to play quarterback. If that's a personal opinion. That's just an offensive, you would, if you were a coach, you would not be running this system and scheme period I feel it's like. it's it's how you deploy it though right like right. there are a ton of great passing concepts a ton of great stuff in this in this system in this scheme and it's been extremely successful obviously um this is an offshoot right. of the scheme that's won two of the last four super bowls like and probably more than that even th- thinking back because like it's a west coast offense it's just right. how you do deploy it what's your run game look like how does it marry with your pass game and your play action game um, you know, how often do you call certain concepts? How do you get to them formationally? There's a good example in the Jets game where like Byron Pringle is running a, a corner and it's probably better if Terry's running that corner because it, it probably more realistically draws coverage and you get the underneath route below it that you're actually trying to hit. And so like, how do you deploy your personnel in certain situations? So yeah, there's a lot to it. It's super nuanced. It's super complex. Fans just want to be mad on the radio and hear being like, it's all this person's fault. And it's, it's everyone's not. got equal, um, everyone's got equal blame in it. I feel like with this yeah, situation, but I, I think, I think that we agree on this. You think going Jacoby at least this weekend is the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also on the same token, like, well, you put him out there the last two weeks and pulled them. Why not just give him a, just keep giving them cracks at it. Like you get 
Taking them off the field, I think, is the ultimate confidence breaker. Being someone that has like played team sports before, like getting benched like sucks. It makes you feel like I can't do it. You don't believe in me. So like them rolling him back out there, I think would have at least made what they've been saying the last 15 weeks at least be consistent. You know? I think that's interesting because I've also played team sports. And like if I were to get benched, I would be like this. It depends on like why you get benched, right? Like if you think you're getting benched because your coach is being unfair, then you're probably going to spiral a certain way. But I think right. Sam can look in the mirror and be like, I'm getting benched because I have not played well. And so I yeah. think it's, a, I see it as a chance to be like, okay, the pressure's off. I can take a deep breath. I can reset. I actually think this is the best thing for him in the same way that it was good for Kirk getting benched early in his career that allowed him to be pulled out of that spiral. So you don't yeah. keep you know, spiraling to the inevitable. And maybe we're already past that. Maybe we've passed the point where he is cooked for his career. But right. if if not, um, and you pull him out just before he drowns, if you will, like you saved his you saved his life instead of instead of you know saying, hey, well, just go try again, kid. He's like, I can't swim. Somebody help me. Exactly. And to that point, I think I would think about starting him in the final game against Dallas just to give him I another agree. crack at it. Let him I be agree. behind Jacoby this week, see how Jacoby prepares. And then let him go try to swim again. Yeah. By the way, why did I sound like Jerry Seinfeld when I was doing this the, the swim thing? <laughs> hey, somebody help me. I just got to try to swim. You actually have a decent Jerry Seinfeld is what I was saying. It's, I, know uh, you, I know we wanted to get in the quarterback, too. Well, well, maybe. Maybe. I probably can have one, too. But I'm not. Right, your impressions are not bad. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Uh, when we come back, Linnell has got some quarterback thoughts on where they go, not in week 17, not in week 18, but next year. And those, those, my friends, those might be some overreactions. We'll get to it next. <laughs> Overreaction Tuesday slash Thursday with Linnell here on the Hoffman Show. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Continuing with our Overreaction Tuesday slash Thursday holiday week. Schedules are fun. Uh, Linnell is here. All right, so moving forward at quarterback, I yeah. am trying to keep my options open. Everyone else is like, they should do this you seem to be in a uh i have a plan category what is your plan i hear what you're saying and i haven't heard your thoughts on quarterback next year yet so we'll, we'll see where we're at with this i do when you say keep your options open there's only so many options i think you can go option one to me is if you end up with the second pick you i think you made every game one and if you it's all dependent to me, and I'm going in circles here. It's dependent on whether or not you love a quarterback in this draft. That's what I think needs to be the first thing at hand, because the one thing I'll say about Caleb Williams, Drake May, and all of these prospects, it's December. By the time we get to April, these evaluations are going to be turned upside down for some of these dudes. Um, some of them have more games to play, um, and some of there are, there's always that late riser in the process that maybe they fall in love with. So that's the first thing is falling in love with a guy. And then there's the scenario in which you don't fall in love with a guy. Then your options are really wide open because you can trade back. You can potentially take the luxury piece there at number two or three with the tackle of the wide receiver. And then you get into the free agent veteran quarterback market, which your hand is kind of already in because of your familiarity with Jacoby Brissett. You have Sam Howell coming back under contract no matter what unless someone's crazy enough to trade for him this offseason, which is another scenario. But this is crazy hypothetical. If they don't love a quarterback and they have a 
coach that feels like they can work with Russell Wilson on a decent contract. No. And then not you, interested. No. It was just hypothetical. This is what the segment's for. It's overreactions. Do you, would but, you actually are you just doing that to get a rise out of me, or do you actually think that Russell Wilson would be? I mean, he hasn't played bad ball this year, but like I've just heard too many stories break? about how that dude is a weirdo. I don't want him mentoring the next guy. Well, I hear you on that. And Pablo Torre did a whole that, Pablo Torre finds out episode about it. If that ends if this ends up being the headline for the segment, I'm gonna be very upset. So I hope the digital <laughs> is listening on that. Because I know how that could get. But no, it, hypothetically speaking, though, you can go the bridge quarterback route still and take one of the luxury pieces with your top five pick, or you could trade back, which I think may be the best thing to do because you need as many pieces as possible here. And you may be able to flip, flip, and end up with 11, 12, 13 picks in this Look, draft. I, you, you basically just espouted my wide array of options. Fall in love with a guy, uh, trade back, or take... If you like fall in love with Fashanu or Harrison, then like right. by all means, right? But that in the break, that's not what you said. I want you to say the thing you said in the break because that that is the spicy take. Well, I think by the time we get to April, Jaden Daniels will end up being the number one quarterback prospect and not Caleb Williams. And I'm not doing any. I'm not a reporter. I don't speculate. But Caleb Williams is from this area, and the circles are not as small as you may think they are. Once we get to through the pre-draft process. Certain teams are going to be turned off by Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams camp and things of that nature. And from a football standpoint, and I'm just going to go to football, playing in Pac-12, not, not the best conference, I don't think he showed the ability throughout his time in college to play on schedule on a consistent basis. And he doesn't have the athleticism at the NFL level to me to play off schedule as much as a guy like Lamar does. And I'm saying Lamar because I think he plays off schedule more than anybody in the entire league. And he's, oh, he's the maybe best, the best at it, for sure. He's the best at it. Well, and Caleb's not, not that type not of in the Holmes category. Right. And he's not that type of athlete. So I don't know. He's going to have to be in a situation to me where he has his game refined in year one, the way Patrick Mahomes did in his first year in Kansas City, just to fine tune the things and not taking away any of the special stuff where he makes the crazy plays off schedule. I don't want him to rely on that. Because if you notice, like Patrick Mahomes doesn't rely on that, but it looked like he was on uh, a Monday at least. And that's, yeah, no, what, it that's what it looks like when you're relying on it. Yeah, and he still kind of survived in that game for a little bit, but they just couldn't, yeah. they couldn't string anything together, um, yeah. even if Mahomes at times was moving it. Um, I think that's super interesting. Um, I do... I have I don't know enough about any of these guys to anything definitive yet. Um, but Me either, and I'm just... With, from with Williams, know you know... With his dad already having a bunch of stuff out there in the press, and he just did a GQ article, and you know there there's definitely some like some of the old guys yelling at clouds about NIL. They're actually yelling about Caleb Williams, and like this guy's got some star power to him in a way that I do think some old school football people are not going to like. Yep. And the the not question, to say this group won't. Not to say this well. That's group the thing. Won't. Well, there's two questions then. One. Is that just stupid old people being stupid old people? I'll do respect mm -hmm. to the elders. Uh, and two, <laughs> like, does this group care? And it depends on who this group is. We don't even know who this group is yet. You know, Josh yeah. Harris is one thing. But like, Magic Johnson, like, yeah, Magic Johnson in 1979 had star power and right. was probably doing all kinds of stuff. And Jerry Buss was the perfect was. use for that. <laughs> and it was a match made in heaven. Um, I do think that there is probably going to be someone who needs to ask the question, do, do the commanders 
need to draft another kid from the DMV? Like, is that hometown thing that went wrong with Chase Young and went wrong with Dwayne Haskins uh, before, obviously, Dwayne left and and RIP? But, like, is the hometown complication something where that's a problem here? And, like, it shouldn't be. It sounds sounds harsh. And and you're right. It shouldn't be. But you have to ask the the question. I think it should be literally the opposite. You you're around the area where these kids grew up at. It's so easy for you to go really dig and do your proper homework and talk to the right people. That's why it's important who you have in your building, man. There's such things as football people in your building, and then you have connectors who do deal with the real life stuff. And I think they clearly lack that in that building. No, I think that's a great point. And that's, you know, Logan talks about the evaluation versus the scout, right? right. The evaluation is like, what does this kid look like on film? What does he play? And they're like, he always uses Dewan Jones as an example. Like Dewan Jones on film, first round pick. Dewan Jones scout, uh-oh. And that's why he dropped. And like dropped right. way further than anyone thought he would. And it looks like if he can keep his head on straight in Cleveland, they got a steal. Because um, exactly. he's actually played good ball. He's played like a first rounder this year mm-hmm. out of right tackle. But like if, if you, you know, you should be able to find out. But I think it's hard to project like how will a kid handle oh, of course his high school friends being around or his family and some of the, the complications of family. And, you know, I, I don't say that in a way to be insensitive no, it's um, real because it's, it's real stuff. Um, yeah. And I hope the answer is they figure it out and they're like, you know what? This is all hullabaloo. We don't need to be scared. Like his dad likes to talk a little bit, but he's just a supportive father um, who's out there looking out for his kid. Like we're going to take care of him and we're going to provide the football infrastructure and the right mentors and the right veterans and the right, everything, the right coaching staff. To, to take advantage of what is one of the best prospects on the evaluation front that we've seen in a long time. And that's going based off of what I, I know what you're saying too, with like his season was not what I think a lot of people expected, but dude didn't win the Heisman the year before there's so much good tape for Caleb Williams. And so yes. what I think Daniels is intriguing though, to get back to your original overreaction, hot take, if you will, um, that I do think some people will wind up with, cause there's always, everyone has different boards and some people yeah. like to, they're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to look for the things. And you wind up confirmation biasing yourself into a wrong opinion or sometimes the, the right opinion. Um, but thing I, I think with Daniel's like, athleticism, like, he's he's got a chance to rise. The thing I like about Daniels, too, is, like, he's went through stuff in his football career. Like, he transferred there. He had was, – was that – was it Arizona State or, or Arizona? Yeah. And was – had had to deal with things there. Like, he's played a lot of football. I, I like that about him. Yeah, I mean, Caleb transferred and all that kind of stuff too. Obviously, with the same coach, um, but went went from Oklahoma out to USC, and um, I don't know, man. It's it's going to be interesting, and this is why I'm also like the idea that you have to take one of these guys, especially when it's a lottery ticket type of thing. Like, I'm still not convinced that if you think Fashanu or Harrison's a Hall of Famer, like take that dude and trade. You know, you have those two early seconds. Can you trade them both back into the back end of the first? And, a, you know, and a future third, get back into the back end of the first and take Penix if you like Penix. Like, you just have to, it, it's hard because you got to maneuver you, you the both, board, right? You gotta, yeah, yeah you, it, you can't, it's risky, right? The safest thing to do if you know you need to come out of the first two days with the quarterback is just take one at right. two slash three slash four, wherever they wind up. Um, and that's going to be your best chance to get the best player. That's the nature of it. Um, but we've also seen two years ago's draft included Sam Howell, who's somewhere wildly fluctuating in the middle of the number two pick 
who stinks in Zach Wilson, all due respect, uh, and Brock Purdy, who until Monday night was a leading MVP candidate and was the last pick in the draft. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, crap obviously, first rounders better. They, you know, it is, it's a weighted crapshoot. I think that's important to remember, too. The higher you pick, the better chance and the more players you're going to have to choose from. But it is a weighted crapshoot. And at that point, you also need to let the next coach evaluate and Sam Howell and say like, Hey, what that kid showed with different coaching, yeah. is that something that where I feel like I can succeed and I can build my roster out in other ways. And I, I think the the hard part is then do you get stuck back in the middle? That, that to me is my biggest yeah. fear is like you build out the roster around Sam. He's good enough to be a nine, 10 win guy, but not good enough to get you over the top. But then you don't really have a chance to get the next guy. That's what I would be concerned about. And real quick, I think, just based on early looks at what people are mocking and because I haven't watched a ton of anything yet, you may be able to trade back depending on where Washington is. And if you fall in love with a guy and I'm telling you during this process, guys are going to get skyrocketed up the board. Like a guy like Bo Nix is probably going to go in the first round. Realistically speaking, looking on needs at quarterback, you may see five or six, I think in the first round, yep. you may be able to double up and get a quarterback you love and attack. So like we call we call that the Houston Texans open. model, yeah, yeah. Keep your options open. So hundred percent, do a lot. Um, you know, and by this, by the way, I, I think something else that's probably worth saying, um, as I think about the the weighted crapshoot theory, and also my like getting stuck in the middle theory, like who are the best teams in in football right now? Chiefs, Ravens, Eagles. <laughs> like what those teams did was build really really good rosters. Yeah and find their quarterback middle to late first round or second in the Eagles case in Jalen. So I think yeah. there is some, as much as everyone's like, Oh, you've got to take a quarterback. I think there is something to building out the roster and just being a really good balanced football team and understanding that you're going to create the sit, the ecosystem to incubate the quarterback that you can, if you find the Mahomes, if you find the hurts, if you find the Lamar, those guys, don't always go one, one overall. It's easier that way. And Caleb Williams might be that guy and he might be worth trading up for. If you wind up at two, do you try to trade up to one? Maybe if you think you he's that him. dude. Um, yeah. But I do think it like the best teams in the league right now are proof that good rosters one through 53, when you football games, you need a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl regularly, but like you need that roster balance too. Um, and that's how, that's how winners are built. You know, that's how, how winners are built. That's how you do uh, it. What did you got for the rest of the week? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, you get to Linnell's done talking for 20. Do we get the last of Linnell in 2023? Until New Year's Day. Alrighty then. All right. So that's how you end an interview.